Underway. Welcome to this hour on a Thursday, April 6th from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. It's Pat and Wes from Post Media on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcast. Well, you know, there have been uh, a lot of different things that you can criticize the Flames for this year. Uh, you can criticize them for being not consistent or dysfunctional or their top players not being good enough on a regular enough basis and all these things and probably many others would be accurate and fair. But you know, one thing you cannot say about them this year is that they have uh, lacked resiliency because this team has been on the verge of being dead and buried. And we've been wondering if they've waved the white flag, I don't know, four five, six times over the last number of weeks. And every single time they tell us that the answer is no. Every single time they get back up off the mat and they prove that they haven't rolled over. And I give them credit for that, man. It uh, doesn't make up necessarily for the other things and it might not get them in, but it's a pretty good trait to have. And that was on display most Wednesday night in Winnipeg. That was a resilient, dig deep, greasy, gutsy, whatever cliche you want to use. They, uh, they came to play, and they found a way, and once again, they showed us this can be a resilient hockey team, and they were against the Jets on Wednesday. I, I give them credit for it because, again, they keep proving us, proving to us that they're not ready to, to roll over and have this season come to an end. It, it's a great point, and it is something that they absolutely deserve credit for because it's easy to look at the, you know, the nights that they – maybe should have rolled over after you know, I, the first one that comes to mind is that eight, two loss in in Los Angeles that sort of felt like the, the end. And, yep. and, and how many times have we said that? How many, how many times did it feel like, okay, that might be the, that might be the one that they can't bounce back from. And yet we haven't seen it yet. And I, I do think they deserve a lot of credit for it. It was fascinating. Daryl Sutter was, was speaking earlier this week about, how difficult it is to do what they're doing in a Canadian market. And, and his point was that you can't block. You talk all the time about blocking out the noise, but it's really tough to do when you're surrounded by it. And he talked about the way that the group has sort of gelled under these circumstances of being counted out several times. And it's not, even maybe it is coming from Daryl, but you know, it's not when I say this, it's not a knock on, on the people that have counted them out because I think they were onto something. Yep. And yet full marks to the flames last night was, I, I love the word greasy. It, it was one of those games. You just had your teeth kicked in. The travel was difficult. There were all these reasons that it maybe shouldn't have gone the way it did. Yep. And yet, it was just a really solid, sharp, spirited performance. And they fell down one nothing. They were in a bad spot after 20 minutes of play. There were a couple of times when the Jets could have taken it over or, or taken a, a larger lead. They never went away. And, and look, I don't know if it's going to be good enough. I don't know if they're going to be able to get done what they need to get done the rest of the year. I don't know what the Jets are going to do between here and the end of the season. But I do know that that was uh, that. Again, we went into the game saying all you want to see is the type of effort that you would expect from a group that had their season on the line. And if you lose, at the very least, you can come away saying they didn't leave anything on the ice. Well, they didn't leave anything on the ice, and they came away with the victory, and the Jets were what they were. And I know that uh, the, the, the Jets subreddit and uh, Jets Twitter and Jets comments are, are blowing up, and that city Jets fans are lighting themselves on fire. But the Flames did what they needed to do, and, and they were the 100% deserving team to win that game last night. 
the when you talk about the resilience, there's two moments last night that really stick out for me and and in a short span. I loved the response after the goal was disallowed early in the second period. That that could have been one of those moments you think you've tied it up. You've got a long review. It it start started to look pretty obvious from my vantage point that it was coming back, but that could be one of those yep. woe is me sort of moments, right? You you've clawed back, you think it's tied. Nope, suddenly it, it it's goaltender interference and it's still one nothing. And then how do they respond? Well, they get into a little bit of run and gun hockey for about 85 or 90 seconds, but they go the other way. Michael Backlund passes when he should shoot. And as it turns out, he should have passed because Andrew Mangiapane buries it. And suddenly it is a tie game. And so you love the response to the disallowed goal. And then what happens next is they wind up in this skirmish scrum, whatever you want to call it. And, I don't think I've ever seen a penalty called for too many men in a scrum. It's in the rule book. I don't think I've ever seen it. So that's another, for me, potential woe is me moment. Yep. We've just tied it up, and now somehow out of this mess, we wind up on the penalty kill. Well, they killed it off, and, and those two moments really showed me some character from this group. That That short span of less than two minutes, I guess, Less than four minutes, if you want to include the part where they had to actually kill off the extra minor penalty. That told me a lot about this group. And I'm with you. I I don't know, and I wrote this last night. It might turn out to be too little too late. We could potentially look back at any of those Chicago games, at that lopsided loss in L.A., that home stinker against the Ducks. We could look back at any one of those and say, Geez, that one ultimately cost them a shot to make the playoffs. But the way that they have bounced back, the way that they've showed some stick around, you know, the way that they've stayed in the fight, give them credit for it. And I know that uh, some are very much in the cynical uh, on the cynical side of things that says, um, well, I mean, they're just gonna they're just gonna piss it away from here, or they're gonna end up tied and miss on tiebreakers. I I understanding I, I or I'm understanding of why you feel that way, but I also I do. Um, I do think there's some value in the traits that they've shown over the last little bit, and again, they don't erase or make up for some of the other problems that the flames have had this year and some of the dysfunction and what we've seen from whether it's Jonathan Huberdeau or Nazem Kadri or Jacob Markstrom or whatever the case may be, they're in this spot. They're needing to be resilient because they've put themselves in this spot. So by no means can we sit here and say that all that stuff is excused, but the fact that they, have been where they were after the 8-2 loss or the Vegas loss or most recently that Chicago loss on Tuesday. And you know what? Maybe that Chicago loss is just too much to make up for. Maybe that maybe that will be the one when we're all said and done and we're looking back on the season that we say, if they had even the one point in that game, they probably make the playoffs. That might be the one. But... We don't know yet, and the fact that they're still kicking here and the fact they go into Game 80 on Saturday, Game 81 and 82 on Monday and Wednesday with an opportunity to still be in the postseason and the fact that they've put some real pressure on the Jets even after what happened on Tuesday night, I I give them a salute. Good on them. Yeah, absolutely. Praising the resilience does not excuse the other stuff. It, It doesn't excuse some of the unpredictability and the inconsistency, especially early on. It doesn't excuse or or erase some of the subpar individual performances that we've seen you can praise the resilience and and not you know not you're not erasing that other stuff so if you go back to september and the expectations that surrounded this team they should not be where they are right now they should not be a team that is in ninth place still facing long odds to be a playoff team yep but if you go back to six or five or four weeks ago, they shouldn't be where they are right now either. And that's still having a shot at a playoff spot. This team would have been, it would have been really easy and and even perhaps understandable if they had just parachuted out of 
playoff relevant. And that's what we're giving them credit for today. They haven't. They've stuck around. Is it going to matter? I'm not sure. Is it frustrating for fans who would like to see them have a higher draft pick if they're not going to be playing playoff hockey? Sure. Absolutely. I I get that, and I don't fault that point of view. Yep. But you have to credit the 24 or 25 guys on that roster for the way they've refused to be counted out of this thing. A few texts at 969.60. Text line is open on this Thursday edition of Flames Talk. Flames Talk. This says they'll crap the bed next game for sure. And again, I get the cynicism. I get the skepticism. Webley wrote to, uh, writes rather to quote the great Dion Phaneuf, it's not over until it's over. I think we actually have uh, checked in here. I'm optimistic because until it's canceled, it's not canceled. Dion, I don't think anybody could have said it better. In fact, uh, I, I actually, we have Dion on the line right now. Uh, just what did you, Dion, what did you make of, of the way the Flames played on Wednesday? Right now I'm focused on, on playing. Right. Playing hockey and, yep. and keeping, 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 on. keeping on going in the right direction with, with our team here. We, okay. uh, First and foremost, that's what that's what I'm focused on, and the other stuff uh, that will take care of itself. I don't know. I don't know if you could have said it any better. Yeah, we yeah. might as well go to commercial. I don't think we're topping I'm that. I'm just going to put that on repeat. <laughs> uh, it's Pat and Wes, and we're underway on this hour of Flames Talk. Text line open if you're listening live with us at 960-960. So team dug deep. They got some unlikely heroes. How about Zadorov looking like uh, a straight-up sniper on that 3-1 goal that really salted it away? The Walker-Dewar hard-working fourth-line shift. The legend of Walker-Dewar continues. They get some unlikely heroes in a game to save their season. Um, Let, let's add one really quick because he's yeah. not going to get enough credit. That kick save by Troy Stetcher when the game was still yeah. 1-1. That gutsy shot block on a point-blank opportunity for, for Nick Ehlers allowed... Now, maybe Jacob Marstrom makes that save and, and the groove he was in, perhaps he probably would have. But since you mentioned some unsung heroes, let's let's give Troy Stetcher credit there because yep. that, that was a gutsy, difference-making kind of play from the third-pairing defenseman. Trevor Lewis saved a goal. I think Tyler Toffoli saved a goal when he lifted a stick. And then, of course, there was the play, and and maybe nobody dug deeper than Jacob Markstrom on Wednesday night. And I give the guy a ton of credit as well because that was a tough situation. He was not happy with the way that he played. I don't think very many people were happy with the way he played or anybody played. The Chicago loss was not all on Jacob. There was a big-time couple assists from Nazem Kadri or Rasmus Anderson. Or, you know, it was not just a Jacob Markstrom loss on Tuesday. But Jacob wasn't happy with the way he played. There was a lot of talk about whether or not they should have gone to Jacob in that game. And... You know, I really wonder, and I maybe it's because I'm a sci-fi dork, and and I've always watched my I watched a bunch of Star Trek growing up with my parents, and and so the the whole space time continuum, and and what happens if the, if you go back and change something in time, what happens in the future? I don't know if the Flames beat Chicago on Tuesday night. I don't know if they beat the Jets on Wednesday. I really don't. I and I'm not saying they do or they don't, but I wonder. If the fact that they lost that game Tuesday to Chicago and as pissed off as Jacob Markstrom was, in fact, he said that following the game Wednesday, this was Jacob Markstrom. Still pissed off from, from the other night and, uh, uh, you know, I think fed, fed into that a little bit coming into this game and, you know, a little bit more, more emotions than usual. But, you know, it was a great atmosphere and a big win. But, you know, we gotta we got to keep going here. So I wonder if the way that the game went on Tuesday – the fact that Jacob was taking a lot of heat, the pro- the fact that he was probably putting a lot of heat on himself, and then he's playing on the second half of a back-to-back with what happened the night before. I I really wonder if adrenaline and straight-up pure spite won the day for Jacob Markstrom against the Jets. He was dynamite. That was one of his two or three best games of the season. He had it at the exact right time. And I don't know, do we get that effort if what happened on Tuesday against Chicago doesn't go down? I I, I honestly don't know the answer, but I think it's fair to throw it out there because that was a motivated, pissed off, and running on fumes in a good way, Jacob Markstrom. He was the best player on the ice. And I always, 
he was a no-doubter for me the entire time. This game was circled on the calendar with Markstrom written in Sharpie. That was never going to change whether he played Tuesday or not. But the fact he did play Tuesday, they lost the game, and then he went and played the way that he played the night before. Good on him. You you played the clip from his chat with reporters in the locker room, and that was you know five, ten minutes, whatever, after the game last night. In between the final buzzer and that clip you played, he did an interview with Sportsnet that I don't think aired on the broadcast because they went straight to the, the, Oilers, the game. Oilers game. But, you know, I found it online and I was watching it and he was asked about the fact, well, you don't see goalies go back to back very often. What allowed you to have success tonight? And being his own toughest critic as he is, he his response, and I'm paraphrasing, was, well, I didn't play last night, so the least I could do is show up tonight. That's how hard this guy is on himself. And and I, I've had lots of conversations with people about Jacob Markstrom, and everyone says it's legit that the personal stuff, like, yeah, last season, all the shutouts and stuff, okay, it's great, but this is a guy who really just wants to win hockey games. Yep. I, I think if they won... 6-5 last night, he would have been just as satisfied as he was after that 3-1 game, but he gave them a an absolute hell of a performance. You know, I think about those two saves on Josh Morrissey. Obviously, the late breakaway on Ehlers. He makes a great save on Shifley. Stops Dubois on a two-on-one. Like, you could go down the list. He, he didn't steal two points because that's not giving enough credit to, to the, the to yep. the rest of the group. Yep. But, and this is how I put it in something I wrote today. He needed to be the best of the bunch for Calgary in Winnipeg, and he absolutely answered that bell. I, I was really impressed. Um, And yet, awesome. They needed it. Most important game of the year, Jacob answered the bell. He's got no more runway to have a step back. Like that, this is, and I'm not saying that he needs to steal games or anything like that, and he doesn't need to make 34, 35 every night. But they need a game Markstrom from now until whenever the season is done. And if that gets them into the playoffs, then it needs to continue, or else they're going nowhere. Well, and if they're going to get there, they need it for the next three starts as well. They, they, there's no more Jacob good game, Jacob bad game. They need good Jacob Markstrom for the rest of the season, however that long. Three games, 10 games, 15 games, however many games are left. They're all do-or-die games, and they all need to be goaltended pretty close to the what they got against the Jets on Wednesday night. Yeah, and if they have a, a subpar effort as a team, then he does need to steal it. Yep. And, and I don't think you can blame Jacob Markstrom for Tuesday. I, I really don't. But what he failed to do was bail them out. That, that game was on... The rest of them. It was on Nazem Kadri, especially. It was on, on some other guys who no-showed for that game against the Blackhawks. But Jacob Markstrom wasn't able to bail them out. And if this team, if we're going to be sitting here in exactly a week talking about the potential or about the reality of a first-round playoff series, Jacob Markstrom, if they're not good in one of these last three games, he absolutely has to steal it. it it's got to be 3-0. and from this point forward. Yep. And so yeah, he's their he's their most important player over the next week. And there's not another guy on the list who's close. And that shouldn't take the pressure off those other guys, but if this team is going to get into the playoffs, if they're going to somehow snag that last wild card, it has to be on the back of three really good performances yep. from Jacob Markstrom. Yep. He needs to be in contention for being one of the three stars the rest of the way. And Absolutely. You know what? If it's only 12 stops and he makes 12 of 13, that's enough. But you can't have the subpar Jacob Markstrom nights the rest of the way. I think he knows that as much as anybody else. There's nobody who is a harsher critic on number 25 than number 25 is and it's one of his it's one of his best traits. It's one of the biggest reasons why he is a successful goaltender in the NHL. It also can be a double-edged sword and be one of the things that that can get in his way, but I think right now all you want is a motivated, fired up, chip on the shoulder Jacob Markstrom 
who goes out and plays the way that he did on Wednesday or the way that he did in that win over Los Angeles or the way that we all know that he's capable of playing and that he played like for the most part last season. Yeah. Get out there Saturday night, slash Elias Pettersson near the crease when he circles back to say something about it, squirt him with your water bottle, make 34 saves, and then do it two more times. Yeah. And you know what? In a, in a night where you wondered what the, where the emotion level was for the Flames, give Pierre-Luc Dubois credit because he got that emotion level dialed in. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I, and again, I have no idea what happens, but I really believe Dubois, and, and I think Dubois uh, got a rough ride last night, and there were a couple of times where I was like, Ooh, are they going to take a penalty for going after this guy the way that they were? But two things happened. All of that got the Flames even more engaged, I believe, and I think they took him completely out of it. He was a shadow in the third period. After being one of their most engaged and noticeable guys in the first 40 minutes of play, he looked like the Flames forced him to check out because they battered him all night. Yep. Refs didn't do anything about it, and the Flames took full advantage of it. And that, that's that's playoff-style stuff. You go after guys, and you might take a penalty here or there, but if you can, if you can sap the will of a guy... Kind of, you know, Matthew Kachuk tried to do that with John Klingberg last year to varying degrees of success. Hey, I'm all for it. And and I think that it helped get the Flames dialed in on that game as well. Yeah, and and there's some level of stick-togetherness there, right? This is Pierre-Luc Dubois. And it wasn't a dirty play, but it's just sort of a dangerous shove from behind on Rasmus Anderson two minutes in. that That's a play that doesn't need to be made that close to the board. And so... Take exception to that. Is that. Don't tell Jets fans that. No, jeez. I was I was like, do you really think he sold that? Did you see the play? guy? Knowing how long it takes to recover from a high ankle sprain, nobody is sliding feet first into the boards to sell a minor penalty. Did you see and it how hard his the back of his head hit the end board? It should not have been more than a minor penalty. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. So so Dubois starts there. Take exception to that. I love it, right? And then he gets mixed up with your goalie. Take exception to that. Did Jacob Markstrom start that? Yeah, probably, but take exception to it. I, I love it. And and so that, I think, was one of the many impressive components for me of what we saw from the Flames last night is they managed to straddle that yep. line between engaged and over-emotional really well. Yep. You know, one of the... Last guys you would expect to cross the line, and Trevor Lewis takes a bad penalty, I thought, in the second period. But beyond that, it was, it was a team that that played a, a good mix of a, a calm and yet a, a really fiery, passionate game. There's a lot to like there last night. We'll see if it's enough. And I'm really, and, and we'll, we'll dive in on that in just a second. When I want to hit the text line at 960-960 here. Um, this says, I have, we'll start with Eric, who says, I'd much rather have a chance at the playoffs than proof this team can't be resilient. I think that, make it or not, there's positives in proving to yourself that you're a resilient group. I agree with that, Eric. Uh, this says, Flames fans will blame the Blackhawks for costing the Flames the playoffs, and Hawks fans will blame the Flames for them missing Bedard. Um, we'll see. I'm, I'm sure Chicago will still have a very good chance at Connor Bedard when it's all said and done. Yeah, it sure feels that way. And and this is something to watch, too. The Winnipeg Jets, they're Chicago. The team that they've had all sorts of problems with is, is the San Jose Sharks. And that's one of the last four left on their dance card. Uh, this says it's going to be difficult. The Flames need a lot of help. Jets look like crap, so it's possible. Uh, this says, right on, guys. Didn't expect the Dion interview today. Um, hey, that's why you come to Flames Talk. You, don't, you get surprises and you get things that you are... Not going to expect because Dion's here to bring the heat. Uh, somebody asking, uh, what is Pat's favorite Trek? Um, I mean, I don't really watch it anymore. I'm not really a fan. But growing up, I, I did quite. My parents got me hooked. So I was a next generation guy. Captain Picard all the way. That, now, I, I don't, I'm still a Star Wars nerd for sure. But I just, Star Trek seems a little, it's a little campy at times for me. That's all. I, I have, and I don't say this proudly. I have zero imagination. Like, uh, if I'm watching a show and I'm like, no, no, that couldn't happen, I'm out. I can't do sci-fi. It needs to be that 
like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I loved myself some Jetsons back in the day, but that. Oh, you can suspend reality for a cartoon. <laughs> doesn't feel quite as fake, you know? Uh, this says Backlund did exactly what he was supposed to. He hesitated and executed a pass to Mange. That was a great play on Michael Backlund's uh, assist. Career-high 54 points. Hang Huge on. Huge goal for Mangiapane. Hang on. Yeah. That wasn't even me who texted It, it worked. It, and, and it was a great play by Michael Backlund. But if that puck isn't in the back of the net, everyone is wondering why. Because the, the, the lane to the net was absolutely wide open. Like you, you saw Brendan Dillon, I think it was, skating back to the bench thinking, what else do I have to do to take the pass away there? So, yes, great pass. Very gutsy. I still don't think nine times out of ten you want him to take that pass there, yeah. fire that thing, especially the way he's been firing it. But, hey, it worked. So, as you can continue to get in line on the text line, 960-960, will Wednesday's win be enough to get them in? Well, no, it will not. But will they have enough to get in when it's all said and done? I'm curious as to where the optimism level may be. But what does this path to the playoffs look like right now for the Flames? It feels like, realistically, it feels like three for three to finish the year and finishing the year on a four-game win streak is is what it's going to take. Realistically, it feels that way. Mathematically, that's not true, but it feels like for them to really apply the pressure that they're going to need on Winnipeg, they're going to have to finish with three more wins. Vancouver, Nashville, and then wrap it up next Wednesday against San Jose. Winnipeg's magic number is three or six points. We know that they own the tiebreakers, so Calgary has to finish ahead of them. So it's points lost by the Flames or gained by the Jets, any combination thereof uh, equaling six, and that will do it for the Flames. But Jets lands on fire right now. They were extremely unimpressed with their team's effort in Winnipeg on Wednesday night. So I just, I, I, if you go three and zero, that means the Jets have got to go three and one, and they've got a tough back to back to wrap it up. You mentioned their boogeyman, the San Jose Sharks. Nashville is their next game on Saturday, which is no easy task because the Preds are just as desperate as Calgary is. So. I don't know. You go 3 and 0, that puts the pressure on Winnipeg. And you go 3 and 0, it could mean the Jets are playing the next day with their season on the line needing to beat the Colorado Avalanche on the second or on on I don't think it's the second half of back to back, but it's um still a game that is played after the Flames season is done. Put the pressure on, go 3 for 3. That feels like Calgary's only path to get in. Not saying mathematically it couldn't happen if they go two and one or something like that. It just feels from the outside what they're going to need to do is run the table from here until the end of the year. Yeah, it absolutely feels that way. And obviously, you've got Nashville once more. They're absolutely hanging around in, in this picture. And so that becomes a not becomes that remains a, a crucial game. But I don't think you can leave it to chance with anything less than three wins. I, I just think if we're talking about a team that finished two and one, let's say in their last three, I don't think we're talking about a team that's on their way to the playoffs. Well, and, and by doing that, all the Jets got to do is 500. Right. And they have been a 500 team here for the, they're five and five in their last 10. Kind of, it lets the Jets off the hook if you don't go three and oh. And maybe the Jets still don't get it done, but then you're also kind of, I don't know, you're kind of backing in, it feels like. If you go 3-0, and you're you're not backing in. You've, you've done everything you can, and yeah, the Jets will give you some help, but you've also applied a lot of pressure and made them nervous. And so that's why, that's why that feels like the best path, and the best path for them to also be in that narrative where, okay, now watch out for the Flames. They could be a team to be reckoned with or a team that could give a top seed trouble come playoff time. I don't know if I'm quite on that same page if they go two and one and sneak their way in. I don't know if you can use the word sneak if they go three for three here. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it might be a sneak in the sort of overall picture and the fact that they were seven points out not all that long ago, but that that would be going in with a statement. And and we talked, you know, we spent quite a bit of time earlier in the segment talking about 
the resilience that the Flames have showed. Don't forget about the Nashville Predators, who have showed an absolute boatload of resilience. They have. They're looking at this trip through Western Canada as a, a chance. I mean, you're, you've got four points on the table against the two teams you have to leapfrog. Yeah, that, that game, the, the game in Winnipeg, the, 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 so the Flames beating Winnipeg is exactly what Nashville wanted because they've got two against these teams, and they look at it as, and it doesn't mean like they got to beat Carolina tonight, but they've got two games where they can be like, okay, we can, we win these games, we're in, and you're both out. And the Preds are feeling like, yeah, this is all in our hands. And they're just playing with house money at this are point. Are they ever? They don't seem to, they have no desire to go away, but they also are having trouble, much like Calgary and Winnipeg are, of actually seizing it. Nobody seems to want to seize it, which is why here we are into the 80s of games for the Flames, and we still don't know if they're playing past Wednesday or not. Yeah, and it starts... We may not know on Wednesday. It, it starts with a big one, right? On Saturday, that's a Canucks team that has played the Flames tough all year. It's been a whole bunch of one-goal games. There's obviously some extra juice there with Jacob Markstrom and Chris Tanev being former Canucks. Troy Stetcher, and, former Canucks. I'm sorry, Troy Stetcher. We got Rick Tockett, who just torched his team the other night. And so you've got a lot setting up what should be a, a really close game on Saturday. And it, it's, I mean, it's a must win, obviously, for the Flames. We Every game, I think, from here on out is a gotta have it. But you better not be thinking about 81 and, and 82 just yet because that's going to be a big challenge on Saturday. Agreed. And I think that's game of the season type stuff for the Canucks. They hated the way Friday went. They hated that penalty. They were talking and Pedersen after the game was like, I don't want to say anything because I don't want to get fined. They were so mad about the way that game ended that I, I that's the game that actually worries me most. Nashville, San Jose worry me less than the Vancouver game does because I am the Canucks are they're I get this feeling that they're looking like that is this is our season we're not going to the playoffs so let's go and stick it to the flames the way that uh the last game went right let's go ruin it for one of our closest rivals yep they'll be up for that game and, and you know the flames will too or at least should be um we think yeah it's one of those you you can't you absolutely can't have a misstep. You can't let your foot off the gas one bit. And you could keep it floored. You can keep your foot on the gas for the next three, and it might still be too little too late, but you've got this far, so give yourselves a chance to finish it off. He's Wes. I'm Pat. Hour one, Flames Talk underway. We're coming at you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Downtown studio, wet basement, they have lasting solutions to keep your basement dry. If you experience any water in your basement, contact Basement System, uh, Basement Systems. They are all things basementy. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. Hey, it's Haley Salvian from The Athletic. For a look at the latest on your Calgary Flames and NHL news, go click and subscribe to the Hockey Central 960 podcast. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Flames Talk is live on Calgary's hockey station, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Time for a Thursday edition of your Daily Flames Roundtable, brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills, where they appreciate you for trusting them with your vehicle. Mercedes-Benz Country Hills, just minutes from the Calgary airport. It's Steinberg, Wes Gilbertson of Post Media, and now the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, joins us to complete our roundtable. Gents? In that big 3-1 win in Winnipeg, Winnipeg Wednesday night, uh, brand new career high for Michael Backlund with his assist on Andrew Mangiapane's game-tying goal in the second period. 54 points for Michael Backlund, which betters his prior career mark of 53, which uh, he set in the 16-17 season. So now, at the age of 33 and 34, which he just turned a couple of weeks ago, Best season of Michael Backlund's career. So why do we think Michael's having the best season of his career? Well, first and foremost, I couldn't be happier for Michael Backlund because as good as he is at hockey, he's uh, an even better person. So it's so good to see him have this kind of success. Uh, third most games played in the history of the franchise. After talking to him after he played his 900th game, I'm not convinced he's going to play a thousand games for the Flames, but we'll see how that plays out. And that's a conversation for another day. But 
I think for me, there are a bunch of things. At the top of the list, he's healthy. Remember two, three, four years ago when he was battling that core issue? He would always get maintenance days. The rest of the team would practice and it would be a maintenance day for Michael Backlund. So he's been healthy this season. So that's been big for him. He's been, I would say, one of the two most consistent players on a team that has been consistently inconsistent this season. For me, it's Michael Backlund and Tyler Toffoli at the top of that list. And he used to have the nickname second half backs, but he's been good from start to finish this season. He's been good in the second half, but he was good in the first half too. And he's had a great connection with Blake Coleman. And I know they split those two guys up in last night's game against the Jets, but you know, those two guys have played really well together, regardless of who's been on the left side of that line. So, you know, the fact that he's healthy, the fact that he's playing a consistent brand of 200-foot hockey and uh, his connection with Coleman would be three things for me. I always get nervous when we do this because I, I write down a few things. I jot down a few notes that I think are good, and, and usually Willsey takes all of them. So I'm proud, <laughs> I'm proud to report I've got, some, I've, got a, I've got a few to add for a change, which is, uh, which is nice. I, I, I would throw these ones in the mix. I, I think part of it, and Michael Backlund told me as, as much at the poker tournament when, when he and I were chatting about it, I think... Daryl Sutter deserves some credit for this one. And it's been easy. Can I just, he and I wasn't, wasn't there a third person in that conversation? Wasn't I, I was there as well, Pat. Wasn't I just sitting right between the two? <laughs> this of you? was actually pre poker <laughs> okay, tournament. Okay, yeah. Okay, this okay. Is, okay. This was when the, you know, the real interview was okay, happening. Good, good point. It, it's easy. And, and I think fair to criticize Daryl Sutter for not being able to push the right buttons with some other guys this season. And, and we've had this conversation plenty of times. I think he has pushed the right buttons with Michael Backlund. And, and I think Michael Backlund would tell you as much going back to last year's playoffs and, and sort of what he proved to himself, what he heard from the head coach when it ended. And then moving forward from that, I think he's really carried that into that this season and, and that's helped. And then, you know, as I was thinking about this, there's a couple of moves that stick out to me that I, I think have helped push or propel Michael Backlund into the player he has been this season. And and I totally agree with Derek. He'd, he'd be on my list of two for the most consistent guys on the roster as well. The addition of Nazem Kadri for sure being one. A, it changed his matchups a little bit, and I think... Michael Backlund took advantage of that in some scenarios before starting to get the toughest matchups again. And I think there's a chip on your shoulder. Not a I not not a I'm mad at the team because they don't think I'm a number two center, but when you're the second line center and they bring in someone else to fill that role and bump you down the depth chart, you can't help but say, you know, feel like you have something to prove. And so I think the addition of Nazem Kadri has certainly something to do with it. And the other move, and this is going back even further that I would add, is the departure of Mark Giordano. I think that created a leadership void that I'm not sure Michael Backlund knew how to fill right away, but we're talking mm-hmm. about a guy, and when you when you chat with him about Mark Giordano, he'd talk about his consistency, about how he always knew what to expect out of him. I think that's become Michael Backlund. And and credit to him, in Mark Giordano's absence, he has really put it on his own shoulders to be more of a leader for this team. And I think that's another big reason that he's having the season he is. Let me take it one step further than that, because I think you're bang on, and that's exactly where I was going. And on top of that, with what happened this summer, not just the acquisition of Kadri, but all of what happened. All of a sudden, Michael Backlund had been the longest-tenured player of the team on the team for every game they played last year. He was the longest-tenured member of the team last year. But, you know, you still had Sean Monaghan there. And as much as Sean had a rough season last year, that's still Sean Monaghan, and he has a big spotlight, and he takes up a lot of gravity in that room. Same with Johnny Gaudreau, same with Matthew Kachuk. Well, then, in one offseason, all three of those guys are gone, and Mark Giordano is gone. Now, not only are you the longest tenured member of the Flames, but you're kind of the last vestige of that prior core. Really, no, because... 
Tanev had come in and Toffoli had come in and Lindholm had come in and, and Markstrom had come in. But going back to that first year they made the playoffs in 2015, the only guy left was Michael Backlund. And he told me when he sat down, he said, yeah, you know what? This summer I took more ownership. I felt Daryl, you want to talk about Daryl pushing buttons? Daryl challenged him in the offseason, said, Bax, we need you to be the guy. And he took ownership, said, okay, this is this is kind of my team. And I remember him sitting there t- telling me, he's like, now on the road, he decides whether or not they're going to stay over or come back that night. He, he goes to Sean O'Brien, says, I think we should do this instead. And it's like, okay. This guy has taken ownership of being the leader of the team. He's not the oldest guy on the team, but he's been in the city and with the team the longest by a significant margin. And I think that that shift in mindset has also applied to the way he asserts himself on the ice. Because all of a sudden, you're more assertive off the ice. I think you just got more confidence to be that much more assertive on the ice. He still trains his ass off. He's still one of the most conditioned athletes on the team. He even talked about this the last couple of summers. He's given himself a new kind of perspective on hockey. And I was like, geez, I never thought I'd be playing in the NHL this long. Let's embrace this. This is fun. I'm happy to still be in the NHL. A couple of years ago, I was thinking about finishing my career in Europe is what he said. So I I think, Hmm. I think it has been more of a mindset change than anything else. And I think Daryl Sutter deserves credit for that, for pushing that button with him. And I think Michael deserves credit for responding to that and responding to everything. I, I really respect the way he's changed his mindset and how it is really affected everything that he's done this year. Well, you guys both bring up a lot of great points. And uh, really, there's just a long list of reasons why he's been so good. And ultimately, he deserves most of the credit for that. And Pat, I love that backstory about uh, how he's basically being asked the questions that Jerome McGinley and Mark Giordano were asked before him. And we've talked a lot about, uh, well, who should wear the C for this team? Well, if he signs an extension, they should give him the C with that extension, in my opinion. He, he's the leader of this team, and we've heard way more this season than in any other season, following a good game, how happy he's been, and following a bad game, how mad he's been. And he's been way more vocal this season. So you guys both bring up a great point as far as the leadership side of things is concerned. The other thing that I would add, and it's really the simplest thing, and, and Wes, you mentioned the addition of Nazem Kadri. I would say that he hasn't been as good a 200-foot player as he has the capability to be, at least at times this season. And in a lot of games, I've seen other teams target that line to get their top line out there against. And they do everything in their power to keep their best players away from Michael Backlund, Blake Coleman, and whoever is on the left side of that line. But the thing is, when you're playing against the other team's top offensive players and you play the right way and you force them to defend and spend time in their own zone, that's where you get rewarded offensively. Michael Backlund has played consistently well without the puck, which means that he has the puck more. And when you have the puck more, you're going to get more goals and points. And he's got more points this season than he's had in any other season. So uh, I can't say enough great things about Michael Backlund and uh He's one of the reasons why the Flames are still hanging out, uh, hoping to get into the playoffs. We've seen it, and not necessarily consistently, certainly not all the time, but we've even seen teams that would rather have their top line matched up against Elias Lindholm's line. And yep. and he finished second in Selkie Trophy voting a year ago. And, and that's just a further nod to what Michael Backlund has done. Because th- this conversation obviously starts with the 54 points, a, a new career high and yet so much of of what has made Michael Backlund a force for the Flames this year is what he does as he has since you know he kind of morphed into the player he is at the other end of the rink and so absolutely he deserves a ton of credit for both Daily Flames Roundtable Derek West Pat on a Thursday guys the uh, legend of Walker Dewar uh, and I, I have to give uh, Taylor and Cam credit for this. Um, the legend of Walker, South Dakota Ranger Dewar, uh, continues to grow. Uh, he scores the game winner against the Winnipeg Jets. Guys, he's a restricted free agent at the end of the year. He needs a new contract at the end of the year. He has been one of the true revelations for the Flames this season. Guys, what type of contract would you try to sign Walker Dewar to this offseason? 
Guys, I might not use Cam and Taylor's nickname when I'm calling the game on Saturday night. It's creative. It's great for a <laughs> newspaper a... word count, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not so great for a play-by-play guy. Who's, uh got to talk really quickly to try to fit everything in. But uh, as far as the contract goes, it's a tough one for me. It really depends a lot on where the Flames see him moving forward. Do you see him as a guy who's going to be a really good fourth liner for you? And that's sort of his ceiling. Or do you see a guy who could potentially play in your middle six? Right now, I think he's perfectly slotted on the right side of the Flames' fourth line, which, once again last night, you could argue was their best line uh, with Walker Dura playing alongside Trevor Lewis and Milan Lucic. Outside of a couple of penalties, guys, those guys were great in last night's game against the Jets. But if you see him as a fourth-line player, then I think that really does put a glass ceiling on what you can pay him. Uh, And I know that the Flames are playing the left winger on their fourth line a lot of money this season, but uh, that contract will come to an end, and I think it's safe to say they're not going to bring back Milan Lucic at uh, $6 million plus per. Uh, might bring him back, but I just don't... Uh, well, as a matter of fact, I know they're not going to pay him that much. As far as Walker Dewar is concerned, if you do, do see him as uh, a fourth liner, maybe he doesn't see himself that way and, and wouldn't agree to this type of contract, but uh, I would be willing to lock him up for two or three years at an AAV somewhere between a million and a million and a half. And I think that's a contract that could work for the team and for the player. And I guess if you're Walker Dewar, you might be trying to cash in on this contract because even though he's young based on NHL experience, he's still 25 years old. So, you know, this next contract might be his big contract. We don't know. And maybe that's the way he's going to approach it. But, you know, based on the role that he's played this season and the fact that he hasn't even spent one full season in the NHL, uh, I don't think I'm going to pay him a a ton of money. I'm not going to back up the Brinks truck, but I also, I like him a lot as a player. And I think he can be at least a really good fourth liner, if not maybe a third liner for this team moving forward. So uh, to give him a million uh, or a million and a half, somewhere in that range to lock him up for the next few seasons, uh, I think I'd be willing to do that. But then again, Brad Treleving always seems to come in lower than I put what I think he's going to when he re-signs his own players. So maybe he'd get a better deal for the team if he's still the GM. Pat, I want you to take this one next because there's some history here that I know you've thought a bunch about. So. Okay, so guys, I look at Walker Dewar. I call him a coveted fourth liner. There's not a lot of them in the NHL. There's not a lot of fourth line guys. You're like, damn, I want to make sure that we keep this guy in the fold because we win with him. And even if he's only playing 9 or 10 or 11 minutes a night, this guy helps us win because he helps our line beat the other fourth line on a regular basis. The last time they had guys like that, they were named Derek Ryan and Garnet Hathaway. Now, Ryan was a veteran, so I'll take him out of this conversation. But Garnet Hathaway was a guy that they discovered, a guy that they cultivated, but they didn't do what I'm suggesting they do here. And as a result, he became an unrestricted free agent, and they weren't able to match the four-year, $6 million deal that Washington gave him, and so Hathaway went away. But they had a couple of opportunities on after Hathaway's entry-level deal and after his next deal, which was a one-year deal, He had signed an entry-level deal, then signed two one-year deals. And so there were two opportunities there for them to sign him to a longer-term deal. Well, Walker Dewar's two years away from unrestricted free agency. I would try to go three years with him, buy a year of unrestricted free agency. You might have to bump the AAV a little bit. So instead of being sub-seven figures, maybe you're at one or 1.05 or something like that. But do something like that. Three years $3 million, you keep a very important guy, albeit in a lower depth chart role in the fold, West, and you don't risk him being courted by another party in a couple of years and maybe you not being able to match. You get him for three years. You get him for three of the best years of his career. You know him better than anybody does. That's an, Is there slight risk? Yeah, but it seems very slight. Yeah, see if you can't get him to go three years. Don't do two because that walks him to unrestricted free agency. But if you can go three years, that's something I'm super interested in. Or maybe maybe it's a, a little bit more. Maybe you think about going four. But that's what I'm looking at when it comes to Dewar. Uh, I'll be super brief on this one because I, I think you guys have, have covered it off really well. I don't see a lot of risk there. And so 
you know, he he's a guy that we know takes his fitness really seriously long before he was on the roster. He he was measuring up really well among the prospects in terms of the annual fitness tests. He's a really good skater, which is something that ages really well. So there I, there's not much risk there for me. And so yeah, I I would if I was the Calgary Flames, I'd be looking at, at something like a 3-year deal and if I'm Walker Dewar listening to the radio on my off day, I'm thinking, guys, I've scored seven goals in the last handful of weeks. I, I'm just starting to show what kind of player I can be in the NHL, and it's going to take a little bit more than a million dollars to get me to commit to anything longer. Like I'm yeah. betting on myself if I'm Walker Dewar, and that's how impressed I've been with what he's shown of late. And that's why I said a million to a million and a half. And if I could get him locked up for three years, I think I'd go the 1.5. If he would only agree to two or to one, then my number would be closer to a million because... Yeah, you're not oh, buying a UFA that yeah, you're there, right? Exactly, yeah. So uh, you've got the leverage there. But Wes, to your point, seven goals and 11 points in 25 games, playing in a fourth-line role. I, I mean, that is super impressive. For a guy playing on the fourth line who doesn't get any power play time to be almost at half a point a game in his first NHL season. I know we played a game last year, but 25 this year. I mean, those are really impressive numbers and he does other things too. It's not like he's a one trick pony. And I do think that there are some comparisons you can make between Garnet Hathaway and Walker Dewar, but I also think they're pretty different. You know, Garnet Hathaway has the size and uses it. Walker Dewar has the size, but he isn't as hard to play against as Garnet Hathaway is. And that's not a knock on Walker Dewar, but what he does better than the old flame is score goals and produce points. And you know what you have to pay for in this league? Goals and points. So I know Garnet Hathaway, I think he's making a million and a half per, isn't he? Yep, last year. Yeah. So I, I do think that uh, something in that range would be uh, something that would work for both the player and for the team. But again, Walker Dewar's in the prime of his life right now. And, and maybe he's going to, as Wes said, bet on himself and uh, try to have a full season in the NHL and see what he can do and then and try to cash in after that. But if I'm the Flames, I think I'm pretty confident locking him up uh, if I can get him for the right price for the next three years. Thank you, Wilsey. Okay, uh, happy Easter, everybody. You as well. He's Derek Wills, and he's Wes Gilbertson. I'm Pat Steinberg. There's your Daily Flames Roundtable, brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills, where they appreciate you for trusting them with your vehicle. Mercedes-Benz Country Hills, just minutes from the Calgary Airport.